Chapters 29 through 32 of An American Robinson Crusoe. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This reading by Allison Hester of Athens, Georgia. An American Robinson Crusoe by Samuel B. Allison. Chapter 29 Robinson Becomes a Farmer robinson had now been on the island long enough to know how the seasons changed he found that there were two kinds of weather there wet weather and dry weather there were two wet seasons in each year and two dry ones during the wet seasons which lasted nearly three months robinson had to remain pretty closely at home and could not gather grain for the plants were then starting from the seeds it ripened in the dry seasons robinson soon found that he must have a store of corn and wild rice for food during the rainy seasons he however knew nothing about planting and harvesting nor preparing the ground for seed he had it all to learn with no teacher or books to instruct him he found a little space near his dwelling free from trees and thought he would plant some corn seed here he did not know the proper time for planting he thought because it was warm seeds would grow at any time it happened his first seed was put in at the beginning of the dry season he watched and waited to rejoice his eyes with the bright green of a sprouting corn but the seed did not grow there was no rain and the sun's heat parched the land till it was dry and hard on the upland where his corn was planted very well thought robinson i will plant it at the beginning of the wet season either in march or september he did so the seed quickly sprouted up but the weeds shrubs and vines sprouted as quickly and before robinson was aware his corn was overgrown and choked out by a rank growth of weeds and vines i see said robinson that i must thoroughly prepare the soil before planting my seed but he had no spade and no other tool that would stand the strain of digging among tough matted roots but he must succeed he put a new handle in the stone hoe or pick he had already made his mussel shell spade was worn out he must set himself to fashion out another he decided to make one from the tough heavy wood of a tree that grew plentifully in the forest he was lucky enough to find a tree of this kind whose bowl had been split lengthwise by the falling of an old rotten tree near it with his stone tools and the help of fire he managed after several days work to make a wide sharpened tool out of one of the large pieces split off it was a little over three feet long he had trimmed one end small and cut notches in the sides about one foot from the flat end he could place his foot in the notch and thrust his wooden spade into the earth. With his rude tool, he dug up and turned the soil of a small space of ground several times to kill the vines and weeds. His corn quickly sprouted after this attempt and outstripped the weeds and vines which Robinson constantly had to hold in check by pulling and hoeing. He was rejoiced at his growing crop and went each morning to feast his eyes on the rapidly expanding leaves and ears. One morning, as he came in sight of the little clearing, he thought he saw something disappearing in the low brush on the other side as he approached. Alas, his labor had been in vain. 
a herd of wild goats had found out the place and had utterly destroyed his crop robinson sat down nearby and surveyed the ruin of his little field it is plain thought he i will have to fence in the field or i will never be able to harvest my crop i cannot watch it all the time he had already learned from his experience in making the fence around the goat pasture that the branches of many kinds of shrubs and trees when broken off and thrust into the ground will send out roots and leaves and at length if planted close together in a line will form a thick hedge which no kind of beast can get through or over he found out some willow trees whose branches broke easily and soon had enough to thrust into the ground about six inches apart around the entire edge of his little field which contained about one-eighth of an acre after this hedge had grown so as to be a fair protection to his crop he tried planting again at the proper season he spaded up the ground and pulled out the matted roots as best he could and with great pains and care planted his corn in straight even rows to make them straight and each hill of corn the same distance from its neighbors he first marked off the ground in squares whose sides were about three and a half feet long now thought he i will reap the reward of my labor the corn grew rapidly and toward the end of the first dry season was filling out and ripening its ears but to robinson's dismay a new danger threatened his crop against which he could not fence he was in despair the birds were fast eating and destroying his partially ripened corn he could not husk it yet it was not ripe enough he thought how easy it would be to protect his field if he had a gun but he had learned that it is useless to give time to idle dreaming he must do something and that quick if i could catch some of these rascals he thought i would hang them up on poles dead as a warning to the rest it seemed almost a hopeless task but he went about it it was in vain he tried to kill some of them by throwing rocks and sticks he could not get near enough to them at length he laid snares and succeeded in snaring three birds he had learned to weave a pliable strong thong out of cocoa and other fiber that he was now acquainted with the birds thus caught he fastened on broken branches of trees which he stuck into the earth in different parts of his field the birds heeded the warning and visited his cornfield no more that season at the end of the season he gathered or husked his corn and after it was thoroughly dry he shelled it from the cob with his hands he used his baskets in which to carry his husked ears from the field to his cave and in which to store it when shelled he found that the ears were larger and better filled and plumper than when the plants grew wild he selected the largest and best filled ears for his seed the next time in this way his new crop of corn was always better in kind and yielded more than the old one at first he grew two crops a year but by experimenting he found out about how much he needed for his own use and planted once a year enough to give him a liberal supply he observed that the wild rice grew in swampy lands so that he did not make the mistake of trying to raise it upon the upland where the corn grew best 
he saw at once that the planting of rice on low marshy or wet land was beyond his present strength and tools some time in the future he thought i may try it robinson also found wild grapes in abundance these he dried by hanging them on the branches of trees he thus had a store of raisins for each rainy season end of chapter twenty nine robinson becomes a farmer chapter thirty robinson as potter robinson was now anxious to cook his food to boil his rice and vegetables and bake bread but he could do nothing without cooking vessels he had tried to use coconut shells but these were too small and there was no way to keep them from falling over and spilling the contents he determined to try to make some clay vessels he knew where he could get a kind of clay that had the appearance of making good wear it was fine-grained and without lumps or pebbles he was much perplexed to mold the clay into the right shapes he tried taking a lump and shaping it into a vessel with his hands he tried many times but each time the clay broke and he was forced to try some other way he recalled how he had made his basket out of strands of twisted grass and wondered whether he could not make his pots in the same way he spun the clay out into a long rope and began to coil it around a small basket forming the layers together with his hands this was easy but he did not see clearly how he was going to get the basket out from the inside of the pot he found he could copy in this way any form he wished but he finally hit upon the plan of making a form of wicker work and coiling the clay rope inside it for he saw that whether he succeeded or not in getting the clay free from the basket he could use the pot and besides if the pot would stand the fire the basket would burn off to dry the pots robinson stood them in the sun for a few days when they were dry he tried to cook some soup in one of them he filled it with water and put it on his stove or oven but how sadly had he deceived himself in a short time the water soaked into the clay and soon the pot had fallen to pieces how foolish i am said robinson to himself the pots have to be fired before they can be used he set about this at once he found two stones of equal size placed them near each other and laid a third across these he then placed three large pots upon them and made a hot fire under them no sooner had the flame shot up than one of the pots cracked in two i probably made the fire too hot at first thought robinson he drew out some of the coals of wood but afterwards gradually increased the fire again he could not however get the pots hot enough to turn red he brought the driest and hardest wood but could not succeed in getting them hot enough to turn red at length he was tired out and was compelled to give up when the pots were cool he tried to boil water in one it was no better than the sun-dried one he saw now that he must provide some way to get the pots much hotter than he could in the open air he resolved to make an oven of stones large enough to take in the wood as well as the pots it must be above ground so that there might be plenty of drop for fire with great labor he pried up and carried together flat stones enough to make an oven about four feet high with a chimney at one side 
he had put in the center a stone table on which he could place three quite large pots he left an opening in one side that could be partially closed by a large flat stone he worked eagerly and at the end of the second day he was ready to fire his oven he first carried together a good quantity of dry wood then he put in his pots and laid the wood around them in a short time he had a very hot fire he kept this up all day and until late at night the next morning he went to his oven and found his pots were a beautiful red he drew out the fire and allowed them to cool slowly then he filled one with water and set it over the fire to heat it before many minutes the water was boiling and robinson had another reason to be thankful he wept for joy his patient labors had brought their rewards no prince could feel as happy as robinson now he had overcome all difficulties starting with nothing but his hands he was now able to supply all his wants if i only had a companion now he thought i would have nothing further to wish as long as i stay on the island end of chapter thirty robinson as potter chapter thirty one robinson as baker now that robinson had fire he determined to try to make bread he had seen the servants at home make bread many times but he had not observed closely and knew next to nothing about the way bread is made he knew he must in some way grind the corn into flour but how could he do this he had no meal nor any tools with which to crush the corn he first tried to find a stone large and hard enough out of which he might hollow a vessel or kind of mortar. He thought he could put the corn into this mortar and grind it by means of another stone or pestle. It was with great difficulty that he could get a stone of suitable size and form. After several days' trial, he at last got one cut out from some layers of rock near the shore. He made a hollow place in it, then he took a smaller oblong-shaped rock for his pestle he took great pride in these new tools i shall soon be a stone cutter he said to himself as well as a farmer and a potter but his stone mortar was a failure the rock was too soft every time he thrust the pestle down it loosened small pieces of the stone vessel these mixed with the ground corn or flour and made it unfit to eat there was no way to separate the sand from the crushed grain he resolved then to try to make a mortar and pestle of hard wood now that he had fire he could do this though it cost him many a hard day's work he found not far away a log of very hard wood by building a fire at the right distance from one end he was able to separate a piece of the log he rolled this to his cave and made a good-sized hollow in it by burning this pestle was not so difficult to make he took a limb or branch of an ironwood tree burned it in two at the place to make it the right length by burning also he rounded one end and then he was ready for the grinding after cleaning his mortar and pestle carefully, he placed some corn in the hollow and soon had some fine yellow meal or flour without any grit or sand in it. His next care was to separate the coarse outer husk or covering of the kernel from the finer parts that make the meal. He had no sieve. 
His net was too coarse. It let both bran and meal go through. I must make a net or cloth fine enough to sift or to bolt my flour, said he. Such was now his skill in spinning and weaving that this was not hard to do. He had soon woven in his loom a piece of fine netting which allowed the meal to shake through but held back the coarse bran or outer husk of the kernel. Out of the dry corn that he had stored up, he now made quite a quantity of flour. This he kept tightly covered in a large earthen pot or jar that he had made for this purpose. I must keep all my food clean and protected from the ants and other insects, as well as dust and damp, he thought. His preparations were now nearly made. He had already his stove of flat stones. On this, he could set his pots to boil water, cook rice and meat, but it would not do for baking a loaf of bread of any thickness. He must have an oven or enclosed place into which he could put the loaf to bake it. By the use of flat stones, he soon rebuilt his stove so as to have an oven that did fine service. Now it was mixing the dough that claimed his attention. He had, of course, no yeast to make raised or light bread. He poured goat's milk on the flour and kneaded it into a thick dough. He did not forget to add salt. He placed his loaf in a shallow earthen pan he had made for this purpose. After the fire had heated the stones of his oven through, he put in his loaf and soon was enjoying a meal of cornbread and meat stew. Robinson soon tried to make cocoa from the beans of the cocoa palm that grew in the island. This with good rich goat's milk in it, he thought, the best drink in the world. He often thought of making sugar from the sugarcane plant he had discovered in the island, but the labor of squeezing out the juice was too great. He could think of no way to do this without the help of horses or oxen. End of chapter 31, Robinson as Baker. Chapter 32, Robinson as Fisherman. Robinson was now eager to use his fire in cooking vessels. He had noticed with hungry eyes fine large fish in the creek near his cave, but he had never taken the trouble to catch any. What is the use, he thought. I cannot eat them raw. It was different now, and he began to devise ways of making a catch. How he longed for a fish hook, such as he had so often used when loitering along the Hudson River, but a fish hook is not to be thought of, he said to himself, unless I can make one of bone. He went down to the brook and searched long for a fish bone that he might make use of for this purpose. He found nothing. I must try something else, he thought. He remembered the nets he used to see along the Hudson and wondered if he could not make a small one to pull through the water and thus catch the fish. He had now a better source of fiber for weaving and for spinning into lines and ropes. He had discovered this when he was trying to find a good strong thread or yarn with which to bind the coils of his grass-made baskets together. He obtained fiber in great abundance from the century-like plant. He found if he broke off the long leaves of this plant and allowed them to decay, there remained a long, tough, fibrous substance out of which strong cords could be twisted or yarn made for weaving a coarse cloth or netting. Out of this, 
he spun yarn thread to make a net about three or four feet by two feet he fastened cords to four corners of this tied them to a long pole and was now prepared to test his plan for catching fish the brook he found was too shallow for him to catch fish in this way at the sight of him and his net they scurried away to deep water neither could he succeed in the shallow water along the shore i must wade out as far as i can he said to himself and draw the net through the water as he did this he was surprised at the many forms of sea life new to him that he saw he however was careful and watchful he walked along near the shore to a point where some rocks showed above the surface as he looked ahead he saw the single eye of a giant cuttlefish glaring at him from among the rocks it was thrusting out its long arms towards him he drew back quickly but as he did so he was terrified to hear the snap of some huge creature's jaws near him a great shark had seen him and had thrown himself on his back to seize him in his rows of sharp teeth but was prevented reaching him by the shallowness of the water robinson was too much terrified to continue longer his attempt at fishing he went back to his cave with only a few small ones not worth the trouble of dressing for his dinner the next day undismayed he tried again he succeeded in drawing in some very beautiful large fish their sides shone as burnished gold and silver now he thought i will have a feast he carried them home carefully cleaned and dressed them seasoned them with his salt and broiled them over his fire imagine his disappointment when they proved unfit to eat their flesh was coarse and tough and ill-tasting he saw that the catching of fish for his table was a more difficult thing than he thought it he must not only catch fish but catch ones that could be eaten he could only tell the good from the bad by trying them he was more fortunate in his next venture he was going along the shore at the mouth of the creek which ran near his cave when he noticed a group of fishes dark bluish above with silvery sides the largest of them were about two feet long they were feeding on the bottom in the brackish water at the mouth of the creek which at its mouth opened out into quite a little bay or inlet they would take up a mouthful of earth from the bottom and let it wash through their mouths keeping all the bits of food that happened to be in it when one fish got a good place to feed the others swam around it and tried to get some of the food robinson watched his chance and slipped his net under a group while each one was busy trying to get the best mouthful of mud he drew up three quite large fish but just as he was about to lift them from the water one of the cords which bound the net to the poles broke and he saw his catch fall back into the creek and dart away in the deepest water but robinson was not to be discouraged he soon mended his net and at last was successful in a short time he drew out another catch or two of fish these proved excellent food and were so abundant as to furnish robinson with all the fish he wanted as long as he stayed on the island end of chapter thirty two robinson as fisherman